Welcome to the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. We hope you're encouraged by today's message and encounter God's heart through it. To find out more about us, visit lifechurchstpeters.com. Amen. Good morning. My name is Tom Kyle. My beautiful wife, Randy, is, uh, was sitting with me in the front row. And we have the privilege of serving this community and this family here, and we love it. So again, for the fifth time, welcome to Life Church St. Peter's. We are so glad you're here. It is a blessing. Okay, everybody, I want you to say two, actually three. Say three words after me, okay? Three words. Brief, Brief. and amazing. amazing. Amen. Holy Spirit, come help. Bring heaven's life. Brings, bring heaven's revelation. Heaven's understanding of what you want with me. What you want with the person next to me. What you want with the person behind me. I thank you that your desire this morning, Holy Spirit, is to reveal truth, heaven's truth, Jesus' truth to me, that I wouldn't live uh, misunderstanding you, thinking wrongly about you, misperceptions about you. Holy Spirit, I say right now, just over my own heart, I'm hungry. I want to hear. I want to change. I want to be more like you, King Jesus. So Holy Spirit, help me in practical ways, in real ways, to be the son of God, the daughter of God that you've called me to be. So I bless this time. Holy Spirit, do what you want to do in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So funny, I was meeting with somebody this last week, and they were, we, he was, he, it was a he, um, so that's probably half of us already eliminated. Um, This person said, man, I I so enjoyed Sunday's meeting. While you were talking, I was reading the Bible. (laughs) And and God spoke to me so strongly out of this message. I was like, that's not what I was talking about. (laughs) So what I love about what Holy Spirit does is he'll use the worship team. He'll use Mark Losman. He'll use Stephen. Um, Holy Spirit wants to grab hold of us and speak to us. In this moment, our hearts are soft, we're pliable, we're malleable, and he wants to break into our world so that we can see him as he really is. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this morning, we're going to continue in a series of taking ground, which means moving forward in our lives, whether it's like a Mark Losman, we have these, 35 years ago, these struggles, these challenges that are causing pain and causing confusion, and we feel like we're losing ground in life that we had taken previously. Well, God wants us to move forward and to capture new ground and to find freedom and find life and find hope. And so from the beginning of this year, that's been our theme um, is taking ground. And we started in the book of Joshua, and I'm going to continue in that this morning and probably concluding that next week. The title to this morning's message is Someone's Listening. Someone's Listening. I was talking to a gentleman probably three weeks ago. This is kind of Part 2B of a message that I started or uh, began three weeks ago. And I was talking to even Paul. He came up to me after the message two or three weeks ago. And I, I wanted to go down a certain path and chose not to. And then two or three people were just reminding me of, Tom, this is what God spoke to me out of this. And it was out of Joshua 9. And it was a particular story. And I'm going to go into it again this morning and then leap from it. But it's going to start in Joshua 9. And 
The Israelites had come out of bondage in Egypt and had wandered for 40 years in the desert. And then they crossed over into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And they had victory after victory after victory. And then as the story uh, unfolds into chapter 9, uh, a group of people in a certain city knew they were going to be destroyed by the Israelites. There's just going to be another victory in the campaign. And so this group of people from a city called Gibeon came and lied to Joshua and lied to the leaders. And it was so unfortunate. But the story didn't just end with the bit that we saw in Joshua 9. And I just want to carry on a little bit, but just for refreshing of memory, I want to read several verses out of Joshua 9, and it starts in verse 3. So if you have your electronics, you can turn on to that. If you have your trusty paper, you can flip over to Joshua 9. It's in the Older Testament. Joshua 9, I'll be reading almost all the verses from the NIV version this morning. Joshua 9, verse 3. However, when the people of Gibeon, which is a city, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they, the people of Gibeon, they resorted to a ruse. That's such a fancy word for a lie. <laughs> Bullface, ugly, downright dirty lie. They resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out Saxon, old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. And the story goes on for the next few verses. And they just said, hey, we're not from around here. We're from miles and miles and miles and miles away. And unfortunately, Joshua and the Israelite leaders believe them. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. The Israelites, that's the good guys, the Israelites sampled the provisions from the Gibeonites, but did not inquire of the Lord. Basically, they didn't ask, God, are these people lying to us? We don't know them. They simply went with what they saw, tasted it, but didn't ask God anything. Verse 15, this is where the second big mistake that they made. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them. They've been explicitly told, don't make any treaties with any of the people living in the promised land. Get them out. And we won't talk about how they got them out, but they got to go. Verse 14, the Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire the Lord. Verse 15, then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Verse 16, three days later, I'm sorry, three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. And pick it up in verse 18. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord. Why didn't they attack them? Because the leaders of the assembly, the Jewish people, had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them. 
So this is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath. Why are we going to let them live? Why are the Israelites going to allow this lie by the Gibeonites to stand? So that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. Joshua and the leaders knew that the words they had spoken, this promise, this oath to the Lord, meant something to God. Even though the people who had come and lied, they, they could have easily justified and say, the giving us lied, we're not bound by what we told you because the whole thing was a fraud. It would have been so easy for Joshua and the Israelites to say, we're released, you lied, we're out. Any good lawyer in the United States would get that agreement thrown out in court. You're not bound by it. But what I love about Joshua and the leaders is that they were spiritual people who understood spiritual principles and spiritual things. Because Joshua and the leaders understood this. Even though your words don't need integrity, our words have integrity. And God heard what we said. And we are honorable people serving an honorable God. Our words are powerful. That would be one of my one or two takeaways this morning is how powerful our words are that come out of our mouths. The Lord is listening and takes our words probably more serious than what we think and what we believe. When he hears what we say, Heaven is listening. Joshua can't go back on what he said out of reverence and a healthy honoring and respect for the Lord. He had said something. He'd made promises. The words came out of his mouth. Even if he felt like, I've been betrayed. Somebody stuck it to me. They weren't honest in integrity. Joshua understood. I said something. I spoke, and heaven heard it. Oh my gosh, I, I, I read this story out of Joshua 9, and it's Joshua and leaders' grasp of spiritual things. It's so easy. Anybody ever justify yourself? Hey, I made that decision because of this, but then somebody else changed it. And I justify myself, and I say, I'm free in Jesus' name. But to understand, my words have power. My words have effect. May 31 of 1980, Randy promised me not to refer to, so I'm not going to. But May 31 of 1980, my wife and I, it's okay, it's all right, it's, all, you know, it's really short. We made a vow, May 31 of 1980, to love, love one another, to, live our, to give the best of our life to one another. Forsaking all others. Only this. Sorry. <laughs> we could have got married in a backyard. We could have got married under a, what are those little huts called? Oh, Hoopa. Sounds like a movie I saw. That Hoopa burned down, I believe. Anyway, it's a bad movie. But we chose, and the, and the setting was irrelevant. The settings are relevant. But as believers, we stood before a preacher 
And we spoke a vow to one another. And God heard it. And God's amen was on it. And that means something bigger than my failures or her failures, my inconsistencies or all of her inconsistencies. And all of you who know us know it's the other way. But do I have an understanding, a grasp of spiritual things? I spoke a promise out. I made an agreement with somebody over something. And even if I want to jettison or if she wants to walk free, we made a, an agreement before Almighty God to him. My words were out. How do I understand the power of my words? How do I understand spiritual things? My understanding of their power. It's astonishing. Now, in this story, we're now going to go forward 400 years in history. Joshua 9, the Gibeonites, Joshua, they all lived and they all passed away. Now, 400 years goes by, and we're going to pick up the story again. Okay, everybody following me? A man, a group of people made an agreement to let these people live. 400 or so years later, a gentleman named Saul becomes Israel's first king. Not a good choice. But nonetheless, Saul becomes king. And somewhere during Saul's kingship, or kingosity, Saul understands that these are Canaanites living amongst the Israelite people. And he gets it in his mind, I'm going to do God a favor, and I'm going to start killing some Gibeonites. It's 400 years later. All those people, the original agreement, they're gone, dead, history. It's at least four, if not five generations before. Then King Saul dies, along with his son Jonathan. And this amazing young man named David becomes king. Where Saul was the people's choice, David is now God's choice. And David becomes king over Israel, and blessing starts happening. Amazing, wonderful things start happening under King David. We're going to pick up the story 400-some years later now with King David, 2 Samuel 21. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. What do I do when there's trouble? What do I do when there's problems? What do I do when I don't know what to do? Why, why, with all of David's glaring, horrific mistakes that are cataloged and open display in the Bible, thank goodness he doesn't do that for me, I don't think. For all of his failures... David loved God and sought the face of God. He was an unusual man. There's a problem. Three years of famine. So what's David's response? He sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul, his predecessor, and his blood-stained house. 
is because he put the Gibeonites to death. But hold it, Lord, 400 years have gone by. I wasn't around then. And King Saul's gone. Why, why, why should I be held responsible for Joshua's failure 400 years ago? Why should I be responsible for King Saul's failure a few years ago? The Lord said, verse 1, is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king, David, and this is where it gets a little tough, but that's okay. We're going to march right through it. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them. But Saul and his zeal for Israel and Judah, doesn't say his zeal for God, but Saul and his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them, the Gibeonites. So King David, verse 3, King David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? Shall I make atonement so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? And the Gibeonites answered them, we have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone to, in Israel to death. What do you want me to do for you, David asked. And they asked the king, as for the man who destroyed us, King Saul, and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and their bodies exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So King David said, I will give them to you. I find it interesting the Gibeonites first say, oh, we don't want money or anything. We don't want anybody killed. And then David says, well, what do you want? Well, we want them killed. <laughs> Aren't you glad that we are under the Lord's mercy and not people's? Verse 1 again. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his bloodstained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. You've got to be kidding me. Lord, that was 400 years ago. I had nothing to do with that. It's not my fault. Why do we have a drought? It's not, I wasn't king then. It was Saul. He, he's the baddie. Some 400 years before, a city full of people lied. Flat out lied. But a godly man gave his word to somebody. A group of people who didn't deserve it. He made a promise. He made an oath. He hadn't inquired of the Lord. But I find it interesting. I find it fascinating. That even though everybody was gone, the power of the words are still alive. 400 years later. In our culture, my word may not last three weeks. I've had, mm, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> what I say makes a difference. The words that come out of my lungs, out of my vocal cords, my words have power. They're effective. And I may not value them. You may not value my words. 
but the Lord hears my words. And the Lord's ready to act on my words, even if I'm not. And do I have a grid for that? Do I have an understanding for that? It's the power of words. There's a three years of drought. What's the problem? Is there a problem? Yes, son, there's a problem. Innocent people have died because somebody made a promise it would never happen to you. And I find it interesting in Psalm 15, 1 through 5, King David wrote a psalm that's recorded in the Bible. Psalm 15, 1 through 5. And this is written 400 years after the Gibeonites. And David wrote this psalm that's recorded in the word of God. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change his mind, who lends money to the poor without interest. That's un-American. It is kingdom. Who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. I love King David for his integrity of heart. For his love for Jesus. To his pain, David obeyed God. To his pain. In the Lord's eyes, my people made an oath. And it's not time sensitive for five minutes, five years, 50 years. Until they're released from the oath, you'll abide by it. Because you spoke it. And it's funny, that wasn't God's promise. It was a man's promise. A man ensnared himself with his own words. And God said, I heard it, let's back it up. Because you're made in my image, in my likeness. Proverbs 18.21. It gets better, okay? Proverbs 18.21. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those, those who love it will eat its fruit. The power of my words, the power of your words, the power of what comes out of your mouth in front of your husband, in front of your children, in front of those people that you work with, in front of your neighbors. The words that come out of my mouth have power. And even if I didn't mean it, God heard it. And as I'm made in the image and likeness of God, my words have effect. Mark eleven twenty two. This is Jesus speaking. Red letters. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. He'd been asked a question, obviously. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Why? Because God's going to back it up. Power in words. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe what you've that you have received it, and it will be yours. Here's a weird, here's a crazy thought. Wouldn't it be weird if Jesus actually meant what he said? Wouldn't it be weird? I know he said it, but what if he actually meant it? That's crazy talk. Wouldn't it be weird if Jesus wasn't kidding and he actually meant that? 
See, the thing is, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Why are our words so important? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We, uniquely amongst all the creatures on the face of the earth, we're made like him. And when we say, when we speak, something supernatural happens. There's life and the death, life and death in the power of the tongue. And now, I'm filled with the spirit of God. If you're born again and you're made in his image and you've given your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes on the inside. And the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. What if the Bible was true? What if it actually was true? Joshua and David actually believed God. And they understood that words mean something. And I was taught, and I'm just going to move to a close in just a second. Many people in this room have a certain church background, a teaching background. You have a bent to disposition, what you were, grew up on. Like in the South, you get used to bacon and biscuits and gravy and grits and all kinds of heart-healthy food. And you're just raised on country cooking. My mom could cook. But other people didn't have the benefit of my mother. So you're raised on nasty foods. <laughs> but there's a lot of people in this room who were raised on an understanding of the power of the tongue. And its potency, its power. My background was not such. My background was very, very different. And is, I don't despise it. I don't bemoan it. I would just say the first 25 years of my life, I, was not, I didn't come from that background where it's all about the power of what you say. But as I've been able to bless, to live, and have lungs still filled with the oxygen earth provides, to understand and grow in the power of the spoken word from mankind. Jesus spoke to all kinds of people. And he saved his challenging words for the religious hypocrites, the Pharisees of the day. But for sinful people, he was un, un, ridiculously gracious. To Zacchaeus, a, a lion-cheating tax collector, to women of the night, Jesus was kind and he was honorable and he was gracious in his words. Do I understand, do we understand do you understand in those relationships that we are in the power of the words that I speak? When my wife and I, we like to do, um, when we can, premarital counseling with people. And we talk about not using swear words in marriage, cuss words, bad words, just the danger of that. No cuss words in, in your marriage, as we tell young couples. No cuss words. You want me to give you a couple? Divorce. Don't ever use that word in your marriage. Don't threaten it. I want to leave. Don't ever use those kind of words. 
They're cuss words. They're destructive. How you speak to your kids, it shapes them, it molds them. I won't go into some of the more horrific things, even in my life. The power of words that shape people, that bring life or they bring death. The power made in the image of God of what I say and what happens as a result of me saying it. Okay, Tom, what do I do with this? There's no Gibeonites. I haven't killed any of them that I know of. If there's Gibeonites, we'll be nice to them. Where are they? Great, but how? What do I do with this? The first thing, and I may finish with this, is ask God to help me and you understand the power of my words. The potency of saying words and the results from that. Now, typically, when I've heard messages like this, it, it kind of focuses on the negative. But I just for a few minutes, just want to focus on what if I understood the power of words to the benefit, to the positive, that brings life, that brings hope, that brings healing, that brings courage? If the negative is so powerful, how much more would the power of the positive be? If the negative is so effective, what if it was to the positive? How much more powerful? Great, but how? Say what Jesus says. Understand the word of God. The Bible is the final verdict on God's heartbeat. And if the Bible says it, I can go to the bank on it. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12. Ephesians 6. Finally. When? Finally. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Can I just say this? Great, what, what do I do? Understand, you're not my problem. People aren't my problem. People of other political persuasions are not my problem. People of different skin color, they're not my problem. My problem, the Bible says, is against spiritual powers and authorities. That's my problem. So I don't have to attack you, or even if you disagree with me, you know you're wrong. <laughs> Proverbs 16.24 says this, Gracious words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. What if from this day forward, I am married? So from this day forward, what if I took it as my um, blessing, my opportunity to only speak words of life to my wife? That was all that came out. Not an accusation, not an attack. How could you have screwed up my birthday cake? It never came out of my mouth. I said, thank you for my flat birthday cake. Thank you that you made the birthday cake you wanted for my birthday instead of mine. Oh, that's not true. She made my favorite birthday cake and it turned out perfect. I have pictures. But how many times with the closest of, closest of relationships, the very worst comes out of our mouth? Shouldn't I save the very best, the very kindest, the most patient, the most gracious for those closest to me? I have two we have two beautiful daughters. They're amazing. I love them. 
And I try three, four, five times a week be in contact with them, just telling them how much I love them, how awesome they are, how fabulous they are. And neither one of them is walking with God. But I don't tell them their mistakes and how much they're disappointing me because that's simply not true. But I remind them how amazing they are, how treasured they are. And I point out all of their beauty spots and characteristics. I don't remind them of their flaws. I remind them how amazing they are. Because that's what Jesus does with me. When I wake up in the morning, he's like, okay, let's talk about yesterday. One, two, three, four. Lots of mistakes yesterday. What are we going to do about that? I wake up in the morning and Jesus welcomes me, calls me close. Just real quick, something, and this is, this is an action point for maybe 10 of us in this room, an action point that's real and relevant for right now in our culture, an action point. Three weeks ago, uh, Randy and I went to Chicago, and we spoke in our sister church in St. Charles, Illinois. And we were coming home, and we were looking at our uh, phones and our electronic devices, and it said that there were three different truck convoys emerging from the north, the south, the east, and the west. That's four, I know. But they're these major truck convoys kind of mimicking what was happening in Canada. We're all going to arrive on Highway 55 together in protest of things going on in the United States. And we were concerned just because we don't want to get blocked. <laughs> Let them come. So as we're driving south on Highway 55, going from Chicago to St. Louis, there were probably 25 different overpasses on Highway 55. If you were driving that day, the Lord's my witness. There were 15 to 30 people on each overpass for mile after mile after mile, waving flags, many of them the American flags. And they were showing support for the convoy. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over 20 to 25 overpasses. My problem wasn't the American flag because I thank Jesus I live and was raised in America. My problem was the flags that were flown, and I can't say in private or public what was on the flags. Huge words that going, what was it, 70 miles an hour? Going 69 miles an hour. Inescapable. Swear words. First a swear word, then the name of our current president. A horrific, unmentionable, unspeakable swear word that you wouldn't want to say in private about our current president. And they're waving it boldly. And I thought, Lord Jesus, I was getting madder and madder and madder. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. I urge you then, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking to a younger man, mentor, relationship. I urge you then, first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving may be made for all people, for kings, and all those in authority, that we may live peacefully and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. 
Luke chapter 6. Red letters is what Jesus said. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind. He is kind. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's Jesus. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. My challenge is this. I'm old enough now I've seen I don't know how many presidencies. Probably half of them I voted for, half of them I didn't vote for. But one thing I've learned about this. Speak well of everyone. Bless and don't curse. I don't have to agree with their political stance. I don't have to agree with anything about them. That's not what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. Let godliness come out of my mouth. Words of life come out of my mouth. If I don't like my current president or presidents before, and I'm in love with my current one, I pray for my leaders with godliness on my lips. Let words of life come out of my mouth. And like I said, I've been around enough presidents. No, I'm sorry. I've lived long enough through so many different presidencies. It really bothered me what people said about a number of the presidents that I voted for. It really bothered me when I heard them maligning the president that I voted for. It so irritated me. Why can't you support him? Why can't you pray for him? And it really annoys me when I hear so many Christians berating, saying horrific, ugly things about presidents that they didn't vote for. You can't have it both ways. Here's my point will be known as children of heaven and givers of life. My words are effective. My words have power. And what are my children learning from me? How I speak. I don't have to agree with every president, and I assure you, I don't. But as a child, a child of God, let sweetness come from my soul. Let kindness come from my soul. Pray for my leaders. doesn't say if you like them or voted for them. Pray for all of them. And I believe this, as believers act like children of God, there will be blessing come on the house of God. Blessing will come on the family as I speak well of those people who irritate me and pray for them. Does that make sense? I don't know, just a thought. Father, thank you. I thank you, Lord, that in all my transgressions, all my mistakes, all my failings in my life, of knowing you for 45 years, I thank you that you speak well of me to all of heaven. You speak well of me before all the angels of heaven because I'm your child and I'm made in your image. Father, help us as people, as sons and daughters of the Most High to be like Jesus. He never attacked the Romans. He never attacked ugly groups that were against the Bible. But Lord, you bless them, you heal them, you help them. Father, help us to be different, to walk as children of the light. 
whether I agree with people, whether they agree with me, it's irrelevant. Let life and life-giving words come out of my mouth because words have power and you're listening to what comes out of my mouth. You're listening. Father, help me, help me to be like Jesus, to be an emissary of light and life. Help me, Jesus. Help us as a family to love our enemies, to love those people that we love, to speak into our relationships life, into our marriages life, and with our children life, even when they disappoint us and they're not doing what we want. Father, help me to accentuate life, not their failings, not the disappointments. Start with me, Lord. Help me. Help me and help us. I speak blessing over this church family that we would go forward and look and smell and sound just like you, Jesus. Just like you. Bless us as we go forward, Father, that we would take ground because your spirit is with us, enabling and equipping us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. For more podcasts and additional information, visit us at lifechurchstpeters.com.